We don't need no contract. Because the contract is in the blood. This right here, this is tribal combat now. It don't mean nothing to me. It's done. Let's go. It's Wednesday, and I am the Professor Mark Fantasia, welcoming back to another show here on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, Pandora, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe, like, share. Yeah, I'm a little thrown off today. Today's a different show. We do not have ODM with us this week. He is MIA, but I can promise you one thing for sure. We are going to hear from the man himself a little bit later on when we do an all-exclusive interview with ODM. That's right. But also, we will have Bring It to the Table. We're going to have Reliving the Monday Night Wars Man, we got I, I, the only thing I can't do right now is introduce him. So let's get into the most recent stuff of this past week. You know, several matches have been confirmed for our nearly set SummerSlam 2023 card. Right now, we know that we have Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. They are squaring off in the tribal combat fight, whatever that may be. I do like how Jay said the, I'll take that woman's shoe and slap you with it. You know, it's no DQ. But it's not just for the title, the universal undisputed title. It's going to be for the tribal chief, uh, you know, name, if you will. So, Roman will be retaining, you know, we know, but, and like I said last week, I'm hoping for a good old dusty finish. We do have Cody and Brock for their third bout. World title will be Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. 
it is confirmed that the women's title match will be Asuka defending against Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair in a triple threat match. I cannot wait to talk about the importance of a triple threat match just later on today. Matches that are not set but very close are Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. We have the U.S. title with Austin Theory defending against whoever our Invitational winner is. And we have the IC title with Gunther in his long reign defending against Drew McIntyre. Uh, McIntyre. Again, these are our... uh, supposedly going to happen matches soon. Going through some of our results from this past week, you know, (laughs) very seldomly do I ever bring up anything from NXT because it's a sham nowadays. But Dirty Dom, that's right, Dominic Mysterio, won the NXT North American Championship from Wesley and I, God damn, we just said, I said last week for sure. I know it was it, me saying judgment day. They're on fire. Every you, Baylor is in the title picture priest with money in the bank. Now this guy has a championship as well as his dominatrix. Rhea winning or having the championship. It's just, they're on fire. They're killing it. I want to see more of it. it they are the next up-and-coming uh, bloodline storyline if they do it the right way. That's how I see it. Now, let's get into Dynamite. We did see that, you know, better than you, baby. They won the Blind Eliminator Tournament against Sammy Guevara and... Daniel Garcia, look, the whole thing is to not be on the same page if you're going to have this tournament. I absolutely hated the entire dance competition, the dance-off, whatever it was. Tony, you said, TK, you said... We're going to bring something different than what you see in sports entertainment. And I get that Garcia is your sports entertainer wrestler. I get that's his gimmick, but it's ruining everything. And it's about to ruin a pay-per-view for me as well. And I'll, I'll get to that soon. But not only on this night did we have the... Uh, MJF Adam Cole duo going over we had blood and guts number three holy shit all right let's get into a couple of parts the first is we had some great spots you had your glass spots you had your tax spots while I do appreciate uh Matt Hardy being on the Jesus Christ, Matt Jackson being on the top of the the cage and dropping down the, the tax. To me, it was very, it was the only reason that he 
and Wheeler Yuta were up there to begin with, right? And, and that's fine, but this whole event felt very lackluster. If you watch a lot of the guys, they're standing around and looking around to make sure everyone's on the same page. An example for me. They had the camera on Kenny Omega, and he's about to punch whoever in the corner. And he's looking to make sure that the other guys are ready to do the same punches at the same time. And when he wasn't, when they weren't, he or they weren't ready. He was looking around. He's just like, oh, well, wait, I'll just stand here with my fist in my air and or in the air and doing nothing. It was a very clunky match. But clunky, well, that just summarizes Kota Ibushi. This dude's return. Sloppy, blown up. A lot of his moves, he would go to for a kick and completely miss. Except the time that he popped John Moxley right in the teeth. It was a, a, a rough, rough match. And yes, the Elite go over with Yuta being choked out by a chain. And it's funny because you see at the very end Ibushi going over to Moxley and if you watch his words, he says, ah, shit happens. Is he saying shit happens as we lose or shit happens that you kick me in the mouth? Ibushi has been away for maybe a couple of months in total. Not looking great, but Omega's saying he's going to be back in an AEW ring soon. Yay. Huh. Now, let's get into Friday. Now, Friday had not only SmackDown, not only Royal Rampage, but we also had Death Before Dishonor. The Royal Rampage was, well, a double ring battle royal, kind of World War Three style. We've seen it multiple times now because... When you're done recording Dynamite, you might as well use those two rings for Rampage. And that's exactly what they did. Something I wasn't a fan of is that in the Dynamite build-up, or I'm sorry, in Dynamite, uh, Darby had a promo in a build-up for the Royal Rampage. And he says... Swerve, I'm coming after you because it's a build-up or a, a playoff of the week before with Nick Wayne, yada yada. But I, they just, I, I guess, played too much to the, the too much to the T, because both men started out the Royal Rampage and then they ended the Royal Rampage uh, with the the battle royal and it's funny how Darby wins he wins with a tope suicida taking uh swerve who was standing on the outside on the apron you hit him with the tope his whole body hits the ground first before Darby does and now 
Darby is your TNT challenger, or TNT championship challenger, at All Out. Not All In, not the pay-per-view that is before it. He is facing your TNT champion, whoever that may be at the time, which right now is Luchasaurus slash Christian. And, you know, we'll dive into that soon. Also, on Friday, you had Rey Mysterio outlasting in the four-way or five-way match. And now he is going to face Santos Escobar this coming Friday on SmackDown. This is your U.S. Invitational uh, tournament, and the winner is facing awesome theory so now it's down to Mysterio and Escobar who both are your LWO members together but the big thing on Friday night was death before dishonor this pay-per-view you know that's your ring of honor pay-per-view you had multiple big things happening you know a couple things for sure is you had Athena retaining against Willow in the main event. This match closed out the pay-per-view. I was not anticipating it, but I respect the decision because uh, your world championship match, Claudio was supposed to defend against originally Mark Briscoe, and then originally someone else, and and things got pushed to the side. Pack not only came in for Blood and Guts, but also came in for the uh, Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view, which is why you got a lot of that build-up. Him getting mad at Claudio, Claudio getting mad at him, and that's why he walked out on the Blackpool Combat Club on Wednesday night. But also on this pay-per-view, we had the Kingdom versus Lucha Brothers versus the Best Friends versus Aussie Open for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship. The Lucha Brothers, your tag champs, look, I was a very big fan of Penta and, and Phoenix, But Penta, really, you know, with his match against Kenny at the original all-in, but pandering way too much, uh, crowd pandering when it comes to their matches, and it's cut and paste the same shit over and over of their moves, and I want to love them, but... I can't get on board with either Penta or Phoenix anymore, but luckily enough. Now, I wanted the kingdom. I really would have loved Matt Taven and Michael Bennett getting the championship win. That would have been their third Ring of Honor uh, tag titles, but we have Aussie Open winning the titles at Ring of Honor's uh, Death Before Dishonor. Overall, great show, great pay-per-view. One thing I do have to bring up uh, before I do forget is 
thinking about this here, if you did not see it on uh, what would have been Dynamite, and I'm going to give this one to Buster. Buster actually corrected me on the side. Look, I, I was watching Jack Perry's promo on the side and taking care of like some snacks while getting ready to watch all of Dynamite. But apparently I had said to him, it looked like he was digging up his old, his dad. Was he digging up his dad? It, it, like uh, Luke Perry? Did you watch it in reverse? No, maybe I need to see it again. I didn't watch it. But what he was doing was getting rid of his persona altogether. He is no longer Jungle Boy. He buried the man who was wearing those boots and and came out with a new theme. And here it is. Close enough. He is coming out to the original Beethoven. I kind of wish he was doing this one. Look up Family Guy using this song, and they have some great, great moments with their long lapels cutting people in the throats and bars. But let's let's move on. Uh, with Collision on Saturday night, you had Starks and Punk opening up in the the opening segment you know punk saying look i've been there i've been that guy i've been the guy who has cheated before and i'm not mad at you i'm more mad at myself for letting it happen but can you live with yourself on on all of this but while they're arguing out comes christian and luchasaurus and we've made not we but uh, Starks, even on this night, Punk and ourselves have made reference to Punk's bag, the one that has the championship supposedly in there. We haven't seen what's inside the bag. It's just a bag. And Christian comes out holding the TNT championship saying, you know, Punk, it says about uh, a lot about the man you are for the fact that you claim to be a champion, and you're not. It, it was just perfectly set up. It was well done. Out comes Darby Allen. Darby takes the mic and says he is, you know, going to want to tag with Punk tonight against Starks and either Luchasaurus or Christian, and Christian accepts. That's our, our main event later. A couple of weird things happen through Collision. So, one of the first is Daddy Ass, Billy Gunn, after losing in the six-man trios match, which is House of Black versus the acclaimed and Daddy Ass. After they lose a match, you see Malachi Black legit have a very somber, sad look on his face. Leans into uh, Billy Gunn talks to him and Billy starts taking his boots off and 
takes him off completely to the point where he pushes the acclaimed out of the way and said, you know, head into the locker room. So we're getting reports, you know, that he's done, you know, but I think this is absolutely a storyline. I deeply do, of course, because you can see how it's being set up. However, it's done. It's crazy because I'm 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 watching this guy on our Monday night twenty five years ago, you know, follow along, and now right here I'm like, no, don't hang it up, don't hang it up. You're doing a great job. He's kept himself going through the years, one way or another, and. <laughs> I, I, if they're going with this with a complete storyline, well-deserved. Uh, that's where I'm going with that. Uh, but also at Collision, during the main event, Scorpio Sky was hanging out in the press box. You know, lurking around for whoever the TNT champion may be. But the, your uh, heels ended up winning with Ricky Starks going two for two, two weeks in a row holding the rope, this time pinning Darby Allen against Punk and Darby while teaming with Christian. Uh, Taya Valkyrie, shitty promo on Collision. Uh, other than that, I I, I do got to say, one of my favorite things and I, that I also hate. When Punk is being booed by a crowd, and I'm a very big Punk fan, you all know this, you know, I have no problem admitting that I'm a mark for the guy, but also at the same point, I'll admit his faults. <sighs> this past week on Collision, while he is, you know, being booed slash cheered by the crowd, mainly booed, it, we're in Newark, New Jersey, and he said, you know, to Starks, it's okay that you cheated. I've been a guy who cheated. You know, and a lot of people here cheated in their lives. Maybe if the the Devils have cheated in the playoffs, they would have gotten out of the first round. And with, like, maybe a quarter of the crowd giving some booze. It's funny to me because he loves to hit those hockey digs where barely anybody gives a shit every time. Now, the very last thing that I really, really want to bring up when it comes to collision is I saw it this time. I've seen it on Rampage a couple of times on Dynamite. While Starks was in the ring with Tony Schiavone long before CM Punk even came out, there was a quick yes, no graphic that appears just ever so lightly and overlays on the screen. So you see it if you if your eyes can just catch it. What is going on? I can only assume we're leading to a eventual debut but I, I I just really am I, the yet the yes no thing has been going on the last couple of months maybe two months 
we have brought so many random people into this company and done nothing with them. Hopefully, it's someone who has been already... Uh, I just dropped my computer. Hopefully, it's someone who has already been on the roster and we are repackaging them. I just don't get the yes-no, the graphics. Like, it's just... If you didn't see it, pay attention. They're on the way. Now, let's bring something to the table. Just bring it, bitch! Oh my god! You see, it's absolutely crazy if I don't have ODM with me. You know, I'm fucking throwing my computer to the side. I can't keep my nose straight. It's a... It's a different kind of show, but the good news is that we didn't go ODM list this week. You know, I want to make sure that we had a sit-down interview with the man himself. That's right, ODM, the doc, Joe Rizzo. We wanted to talk with the man himself and get to know him, learn about his passions, who he is, and... It, you know, we know he's on vacation, and yeah, we happy belated birthday to the man himself. But I, I want to treat you all to an interview that we pre-recorded. Hope you all enjoy this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the man who absolutely needs no introduction himself. That's right, the Doc, the man, the legend, the myth. That's right. He is O-D-M. Joe Rizzo. Mr. Asshole to you. My bad. My bad. Now look it. We've been doing this podcast since the latter part of 2019. And, you know, I know that you think that you give a good amount of effort when it comes to the show, but would you agree that, you know, end of the day, the professor, that's right, me, myself, I, I'm i the one that carries the show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. Absolutely. I appreciate you agreeing to that. You know, and speaking of agreeing, let me ask you this question. You know, what you had said to me off air, that it doesn't matter at the end of the day, I absolutely am the one who runs the show. I'm the one that, I'm the reason that people are listening to the show. You know, you would you agree? <laughs> right. Uh, okay. All right, well, let me ask you this question. You know, you and I, we have different dynamics. You know, you are... You're ODM, you're one dirty, me, myself, I'm the professor. I know everything when it comes to not just wrestling, but, you know, life in general. But really, what do you think it is that sets me apart from you? I think the the bigger thing the, the, was the energy. <laughs> I mean, not to, you know, quote Walter White himself, but you're goddamn right. You know... I, I think through this podcast we became good friends, and I, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, 
always going to have your back, right? Sure. I mean, come on. I, I get it. You know, sometimes we fight. Things are, you know, me, whatever. But you do know deep down you're my boy, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's switch things up. You know, you and I, we both have different business ideas. We both want to branch off when it comes to the top of wrestling podcast. Myself, I've been very vocal about talking, you know, reliving round for round, talking about the old school boxing days. But you, I, I see that you got into OnlyFans, you know, where you are, from what I've been reading, you know, slapping your dick across wrestling action figures. It was it was a mistake. It was it was a mistake. How many action figures have you slapped by now? Twenty eight. I have no. I mean, I'm at a loss of words. You know what I mean? Like you, we we should really be able to get along with each other and, and know each other's personal sides. But maybe I didn't need to know all about all this about you. Yeah. It's a damn shame, but it is what it is. Um, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm at a loss of words, man. L- let me ask you, was it weird to watch back your video? I will be cautiously optimistic in my uh, viewing of that. Jesus Christ. You know, you remind me of someone. It's, uh, what is that fucking douchebag? Uh, Vince Russo. You remind me of him. You know, his ideas, his zany, you know, thoughts, everything you're talking about right now, you really, really remind me of him. I watched every Brawl for All fucking match there was. Holy shit. Well, this was a, a real weird interview, and I got to be honest with you, man, I don't think you should ever do one of these again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, let's just let's just go to the wars. Mr. Asshole to you. Choppy choppy, new champs, holy shit, let's get the wars going. We got, this week we are at fully loaded 1998 and it is in Fresno, California. You know, I remember this one extremely well because I watched this on my buddy Zeke's Black Box. You guys remember Black Box? Yep. Watched it on that. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It fed well at the exact right time. And we'll get into that. It opens with the king, Jerry Lawler, backstage where Sable is behind a dressing screen. Of course, getting ready for tonight's bikini contest with Jacqueline. Our opening match is Val Venus versus Double J Jeff Jarrett. And you have Yamaguchi-san on commentary. Val is, uh, you know, in trouble with Kai and Tai tomorrow night, is what Yamaguchi keeps saying over and over. He's in trouble tomorrow night with us. But Val wins with a quick roll-up. Tennessee Lee does try to get involved in the match. I, I can't understand why... I, I, I'm not sure, did 
Jeff just pick up exactly where he was in WCW, just being a jobber, coming coming on over. And Tennessee Lee was an extra uh, perk when purchasing Double J. I know. Look at I know ODM. You're hearing this. You're a fan of the guy, but not a fan of Double J in this whole time. But maybe things will pick up for him. Maybe. Up next, we do have D'Lo versus X-Pac. And D'Lo wins after Mark Henry comes in and gives a little bit of assistance. And, you know, China, she's there at ringside, and we are starting to uh, push along that feud with her and Mark Henry. Up next, we get Farouk and Scorpio, uh, not Scorpio, Sky. Too Cold Scorpio against Bradshaw and Terry Funk. Scorpio does hit the 450 on Funk. And Bradshaw just gets so pissed off. He beats up Terry Funk. And then Farouk tries to break it up. And he beats up Farouk. That's his future tag team partner. We're starting to see a brawler side of Bradshaw. As we're noticing through here. Uh, a very slow man versus slow man came up next, which was Mark Henry versus Vader. Mark Henry gets the win. Up next, Kane, Mankind, and Paul Bearer, they hit the ring. Will Undertaker actually show up tonight in team with Stone Cold Steve Austin? And the Outlaws, they come out and begin to brawl with Kane and Mankind. Up next, we get DOA with Paul Ellering versus the LOD. And DOA gets the win as they, you know, beat up on Animal basically the entire time. We don't see a whole lot from Hawk in this match. A little bit of foreshadowing. Of course, on a pay-per-view, why else would you, you know do anything other than wrestling here comes Vince with the Stooges and he reads the rules that he the promoter can substitute any partner that he needs to if the time is right and okay Taker's not here he says that tonight Austin's partner will be the Brooklyn Brawler Jim Ross the best line for the night for sure I thought he was in jail now let's move on to man this is one of the original cinematic matches if you will we have the dungeon match which is Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock it's in Calgary you know, I gotta be honest, this is my first MMA match, if I, the more I'm looking at it. And, and the overall fight between both guys was unique and different from anything that we have seen on TV or pay-per-view at this time. You have Dan Severn as your ref, and, you know, we have a lot of use of the wall, where you're slamming someone up against the wooden wall. Uh... There's a part where Owen is thrown into some weights. And so dumbbells are introduced. 
randomly out of nowhere. Lawler just goes, where's Stu? And this is where Shamrock kicks Severn by accident in the head. Owen grabs one of the dumbbell and hits Ken in the back of the head and puts on a a submission, a quick, I, I want to say it was a crippler or crossface type setup, and does the arm for Severn to see that Shamrock is tapping, even though it's Owen doing the work for him, and Owen wins in the, well, dungeon match in his own daddy's basement. Different, fun, I love it. Up next, we get the Intercontinental title in a two out of three falls match with Triple H taking on The Rock in a 30-minute time limit. Very well said multiple times over and over. Geo, golly, I wonder if it will come into play. Slaughter demands that all of DX and the nation must leave the ringside. But only China, who has a managerial license, can stay at the side of Triple H. And look, at they start hitting it hard right off the bat. And it's a great match. Uh, Mark Henry ends up interfering briefly. But Billy Gunn comes in helping him out. But D'Lo, in the middle of that, interferes and fucks up Triple H in between The Rock and... Ends up, you know, going down one to nothing. Rock bottom from the rock. One to nothing. And as D'Lo comes in to try again later, China tosses him off of the ring. Out comes X-Pac to hit the X-Factor on the rock. And Triple H gets the pin there. So now we are one to one. It's gang warfare. Even though everybody was kicked from ringside people keep coming out and now we battle a little bit more and now we hit that exact 30 minute time limit how weird is it that I wanted that from the Bullet Club Gold and FTR and I did not remember that the Rock and Triple H actually went one to one and hit a 30 minute time limit rather than finishing the match huge uh, moment for both Rock and Triple H. Both of their breakout performances, if you will, as main event stars. Up next, we get the bikini contest, which is Sable versus Jacqueline. Dustin wants to come out and pray first. He does. Amen. You know, Jacqueline comes out. She has this red bikini. You get a little bit of side boob. She has a very specific dance that she keeps it going to over and over. Sable comes out and is wearing basically this long sweater-looking shirt. And says... Vince wants me to be very conservative tonight. And this is his idea of conservative. But this is live pay-per-view. This is live TV. And this is there's not a damn thing Vince can do about this. She takes her shirt off. And Sable 
reveals wearing two painted handprints of hands uh, across her, well, her boobies. And, you know, as an as a kid at that time, so it was fantastic to see. Uh, it, it, but we just, we didn't have a winner. We just kind of move on, and that's where we went on to the end of the pay-per-view, which is really weird because Vince comes out, ruins it, throws the jacket on her. We go to the main event, and Undertaker has officially showed up versus Mankind and Kane, and he's tagging with Austin. And it's basically almost like a Texas tornado for the first little bit of the match. And then once we start getting some tagging going, you know, Taker's the hot tag, which is the best part of the night because people want to know, is he going to fight Kane? Is he going to fight Mankind or be more on their side? And nope, takes everybody out, has no problem with it. And Austin and Taker become your tag team champions as Undertaker pins Kane. But Undertaker leaves with both belts. And that's how we go off fully loaded 1998. It was a, a pretty good pay-per-view. Not uh, between your main event, you had Rock and Triple H, Sable, all together in, in the dungeon, which is a completely different type of match altogether. I hold this pay-per-view as one of the better pay-per-views out of the uh, Attitude Era. And, you know, go back to my F the Attitude Era uh, episode. I know I've probably shit on a lot, but this pay-per-view itself, overall, fantastic. So now we hit Monday Night Raw the next night, and... The first man out is The Undertaker, and he's coming out to a new song. This is very ministry-like. You have the very uh, ministry, open-type, slow, whatever, you know. Fuck me. I'm sure I'd mess that up. But now we're starting to get more of the the better taker to me. This is my favorite Undertaker. Between late 98 to 99, this is probably my personal favorite. He comes out, he wants an apology from from Steve Austin, you know, basically saying that, you know, he was siding with Kane, but he wasn't. And now out comes Vince McMahon. He, he just begins to... Start messing with Undertaker's head. You know, saying, look, it, it took you three tombstones to beat Kane at WrestleMania. But last night, just one. I'm not buying it. And now I think I should have the apology. But he sets up a match for tonight. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker versus the New Age Outlaws in a tag team championship match. Vince is not leaving until Undertaker apologizes to him. Out comes Stone Cold Steve Austin. We get a huge face-off. Austin says, look at I didn't ask to, be, ask to be your partner. Austin grabs his championship because now Taker has been holding both of them since last night. And he says, and oh, about your apology? Uh-uh. 
gives him middle, middle, the middle finger. I, is this the first time we got the... Eh, eh. I, it might be. I think the first time we got the original one from Austin, you know. and That's why we do this, folks. But later tonight, we're going to get The Rock versus X-Pac versus Triple H for the IC title. And we're going to find out who the bikini contest winner officially is. Up next, we have D'Lo. That's right, your champion of Europe. He is taking on Vader. You know, Vader ends up taking off his chest protector and gives him a splash on the outside. Vader gets a win by countout. All right, not a fat piece of shit after all. And then, oh shit, next is Bart Gunn versus Dr. Death. It is our quarterfinals. Here we go. And into the third round, God, Dr. Death, he just, he goes swinging as hard as he could. And his knees just buckle. And one just buckled out too much. And Bark Gun just hits him just enough, knocks his ass out. And, you know, poor JR, poor JR, you know, he'll bounce back from this, folks. Don't you worry about it. Sure, yeah. Let's hope on that one. Up next, Owen has come out, and he just basically saying he is not a nugget, and he offers for anyone to come out from the back and fight him. Out comes fake Owen. Yep, Jason Jason Sensation in the roadblock type signage of a uh, theme and mocking Owen through the whole thing and then Dan Severn interferes out comes Ken Shamrock but then while Severn turns on Shamrock Steve Blackman comes out to make the save so it's all the MMA guys are all trying to get involved with each other one way or another in a, a big uh, fight, or not fight, but at least a setup with, with a good storyline, but we both, we all know it's not going to go anywhere. That's sad. Up next, we get Triple H versus X-Pac versus The Rock. By the way, it is Triple H's birthday. How weird is this? The match ends because... The Rock gets himself counted out in a triple threat match. Go ahead. I'll wait. I'll let you figure that out. Nope. Yeah. Oh, didn't work. Yep. Same here. At this time, were we not saying that all triple threat matches were no DQ, no triple th- or no uh, count out, whatever? Just all of a sudden, Rock gets counted out, matches over. No one wins the title. Okay. Up next, we get the Outlaws. They are cutting a promo on Austin and Taker. We're going to see them later tonight in a main event match. Holy shit, Brackus not only lasted during the beating that Savio Vega gave him, he actually is going to have a wrestling match this week against Jesus, another Los Bariqua. 
squash match, Brackus wins this one. Not a shoot fight. Scripted, he's got it under control. Uh, you know, before the break, we end up seeing that Val Venus is in the shower and a lady comes out. Who is it? That's right, Yamaguchi-son's wife. Val Venus comes out. He is about to face Brian Christopher. Now Kayentai comes out, and they have a very big chopping block there, and they have a bunch of meat, assortments, cheese, a bunch of random shit. Val ends up winning with a perfect plex or a fisherman suplex, and Scotty Too Hottie joins in to to kind of jump in on a beatdown post-match with Brian Christopher, even though they lost. And Takamichinoku comes to the save. But at the very end of this promo, we find out that Yamaguchi-san tells Val Venus, I am going to choppy-choppy your pee-pee while cutting the meat and the cheese on that chopping block. Such a waste of meat and cheese. Okay, so next we get a promo from LOD2000, and they're talking about their upcoming match against The Godfather and Mark Henry. Animal's doing all the talking the whole time. Hawk looks like he is out of it. Cloud 9, Cloud 18, Cloud 36, he's out of it. And it carried over to the match. Hawk did nothing. Every time Animal went to, uh, to tag him, he just had his forearms up on the 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 top of the, the rope and was looking down. The only time Hawk moved was to go to do his, the finisher with LOD, going up to do the clothesline. But he falls off of the rope. And Animal gets really pissed off. And hits a Death Valley driver by Godfather. Godfather hits an animal, that is. And in a very quick one, two, three. And I mean, when Hawk goes to join in on the three to break up the count, Godfather pops up real quick. I'm not sure what's spilling over to TV, what's kayfabe at this point. I know we're going to begin to dive into Hawk's demons, but the problem is that JR goes, maybe he has a virus. Jared the King Lawler says, well, maybe he's under the influence. Oh, beautiful. Up next, we have Jerry the King Lawler. He is in the ring with Sable and Jacqueline to find out who is the first place winner and the runner-up from the bikini contest. Lawler gets a note from Vince McMahon that says, body paint is not an actual form of bikini, and Sable is disqualified. Mark Marrow and Jacqueline are celebrating. Marrow, like he just won the world championship, which is fantastic. Uh, The crowd starts chanting Sable, and, you know, Sable says... I'm not surprised, you know, it's because Vince McMahon is not a real man. He can't come out here and say this to my face. Well, out comes Vince, and he's pissed off. JR says, 
Oh, well, I know that tone. That's when I got my pink slip. Too soon. Vince gets in the ring and says to Sable, you're questioning my masculinity? And someone throws a beer or something, a drink, from afar, and it just hits Vince right in the ass. And the crowd goes nuts, and Vince says, yeah, next time you do that, it's going to hit Sable. Maybe as a way to, to, to hear them to not do it again, because oddly enough, no one did. Calls her very ungrateful, says that she is a dime a dozen, every bimbo like her he can grab. But this is where it gets really creepy. He grabs Sable's hair and goes, you owe me. I saved your job when Mark Marrow tried to get rid of you. I saved your job. You owe me. But holding her hair really creepily, sensually, and says, and I will tell you, when anybody owes me, I collect. Foreshadowing. And he said, you can keep your job if you do not become an ungrateful bitch. Turns himself around, looking like he's getting ready to leave. Sable flips him off and on the camera live says, fuck you. You can't hear it, but you see it mouth for mouth. And takes off her shirt, the Sable Bomb shirt, and is wearing a, a very decently revealing bikini. Um, who knows where this is going to go from, from here, but she's revealed everything so far. Can't go much more, much worse than this. But we, on my version, on my VHS version, we find out that this coming Sunday is our very first ever Sunday night heat. Woo! How about that as a little throwback? We get into our main event. We have the the New Age Outlaws taking on Undertaker and Steve Austin. In the very beginning of the match, someone throws a beach ball into the ring. Austin punts it really far, and then the match just gets underway. And believe it or not, where I thought that this is the time that New Age Outlaws would get the titles back, it was just a, a pop for the pay-per-view. Nope, Austin and Taker, they get to keep their championships. They retain. And Austin goes out to the outside, has a beer, throws a beer into the ring where Taker is. And as Taker drinks, everyone loses their goddamn mind over it. And then from there... Kane and Mankind come out and jump Austin. Undertaker comes out, starts beating up Mankind. Oh, good night, folks. And that's where Raw goes off the air. But for us, that's where Nitro is going to begin. ODM, I miss you. Okay, here we go. We get a video recap of last week, and now we are in San Antonio, Texas. We find out that DDP will be here tonight, and he wants Hollywood Hogan. The Nitro girls throw a smattering out there for us to see, and we find out we're going to get our very first ever interview with Goldberg tonight. And he is also going to go 120-0 against Brian Adams of the NWO Black and White. Which, speaking of... 
he comes out with Vincent Giant Hall Norton Rude Hennig. And Hall calls out, Nash calls him the medium tall sexy, which I found very funny. And said, I talked it over with Hogan and Easy E and at Road Wild, it's going to be the black and white versus the Wolfpack. Last man standing wins. Brian Adams tries to cut a decent promo, you know, letting him know that he's ready for Goldberg tonight. Goldberg chants start hitting in, and he says, I think this crowd needs to drink a cup of shot the hell up. Nice. And he said he plans to bring the title back to the NWO black and white tonight. After this, we get Raven sitting in the corner talking shit about Ra- uh, about Saturn. Saturn comes out to confront him, and then Canyon takes out Saturn and saves Raven in the melee. Whose side is Canyon really on? Is he for Saturn or Raven? Looking like Raven at this point. Up next, what would have been, in my mind, a squash of Barbarian versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Somehow, Jimmy Hart gets involved and screws everything up for Barbarian, and Hacksaw gets a win. Right after, Hugh Morris comes to the ring, and he and Barbarian start beating down Hacksaw Jim Duggan until Ming comes out. He gives the Tonga depth grip to Hugh Morris. He gives it to Barbarian. And then, you know, Hacksaw is like, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And he gives Hacksaw the Tonga death grip. Now that was humorous. Yes, sir. That's right. Up next, we have the NWO band. It's kind of like the Tonight Show, the band that they have. And we get an NWO nightcap. Bischoff is giving his 40 shitty jokes while Liz accompanies him out there to the the stage, making it look like the Tonight Show. Hogan is his guest. And they show us what, the, uh, what Jay Leno and his band talked about when they found out that Bischoff had already been mocking their show the week before. And Jay Leno just shrugged it off, mocking Hogan, saying he should spray paint his uh, beard a little blacker. And it's just a lot of back and forth. We know we're leading to, unfortunately, the tag team match that no one wants to see. But speaking of outcomes next, DDP. And he says, I want Hulk Hogan. I want Hogan scum. Hollywood scum Hogan. Says scum a bunch of times. And, you know, you took me out last week, but you should not hunt what you can't kill. After this, we get Hall, Norton, and Dusty. They come to the commentary, and Dusty throws a a red bandana in front of Tony Schiavone and said, If you want to wave this, you need to know, brother, that this means Texas gang rules. And what we're really meaning is if Larry Zbysko is to stand up right now, we could beat him down under Texas gang rules. This is the last time we hear and or see of this for the night. I don't know what this was, why it was, where it was, where it was going. Glad it was over. 
What's crazy is Scott Norton gets in the ring. Jim the Anvil Neidhart comes into the ring and loses within no bullshit. Ten seconds. Ten seconds or less. Norton just gives him a powerbomb squash. Thank God that we had that match. Now the security is banging on Goldberg's door. They're getting him ready. They're saying, come on, let's go. Let's have your match tonight against Brian Adams. But they realize that the NWO has already broken in and tagged the entire place with NWO black and white colors. You see Hollywood's name on the wall, pissing off Goldberg, of course. Out next, Bret Hart comes out with the U.S. title, basically talking some shit, saying that he and Sting, deep down, were friends, and he should know that. Now we get the last match. That's what they're dubbing it as, and it's Dean Malenko versus Chris Jericho. As we've had a big back and forth, Jericho pulls out some knucks. Some white knucks. You had to see that they were bright and white so everybody in the crowd and at home would be able to see them. And as he lifts them in the air, Malenko pulls back, hits the ref in the eye, so he's blinded for a moment so he can take over those knucks. And as the ref sees D. Malenko with the white knucks in his hand, he DQs Malenko and gives Jericho the win, retaining his championship. And that is Malenko's last chance at the cruiserweight title. Now, up next we get Kurt Hennig with Rick Rude taking on Steve Mongo McMichael. And with the absolute perfect plan with Rick Rude, Rude makes the perfect distraction, we get a Hennigplex match over. And they even put over that you cannot mess with this duo when it comes to Hennig and Rude being together. A very big shame that they, you know, don't get to continue years and years down the road with each other. Up next, Hulk Hogan, well, Hollywood Hogan, the Disciple, and Eric Bischoff come out. And they decide to show basically 75% of the match between Hogan and Rodman versus Malone and DDP. Maybe they didn't have enough wrestlers in the the arena this night, but they decided let's show about 15-20 minutes worth of this match. After this, we get to see on Leno, Jay Leno retaliating, talking shit to a Hulk Hogan midget. Not gonna lie, found it kind of funny and then after this we get the Goldberg interview basically he's pissed off about whoever messed with his his uh locker room says Hollywood you know everybody NWO I'm coming after you but tonight Brian Adams you're next and after this Arn Anderson comes out to the ramp and he's starting to talk about Dean Malenko and Mongo look at I get you guys want me back in the game, but, and you even more than that, you want the, the horseman back in the game, but look at how you both lost tonight. You lost to Hennig, you lost to Jericho. Matches you guys should not have lost, but I told you, please let it be, but now I'm telling you, let it be. And, you know, trying to push off any idea that the horseman could ever come back. 
which leads us to our next match, which is Scott Hall versus Sting. How much you want to bet this thing ends in a schmoz? Well, don't put your money out there. It does. Because just as Sting is about to get a win, Bret Hart comes in, makes a distraction. Sting punches Bret. Hennig comes out. Then Luger. Then then Nash. Everybody starts fighting. The only person who's not fighting with anybody is Bret. And he's the whole reason this whole melee ended up coming out to begin with. Out next, we get Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell. And as Mean Gene's waiting for them to come down the ramp, Steiner pushes Buff in a, the wheelchair and pushes him over purposely, mocking everything all together. And saying, you know, Scott's talking shit. I used to beat Rick up when he was a little kid, and I'll do it again any time. J.J. Dillon comes out, and he is pissed off. I'm so mad at your antics. I've never seen a wrestler go down with the injury that you had, Buff, and you're going to do what you're doing right now. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to do everything in my power to make the match happen between Rick and you, Scott. And both guys are like, yeah, well, we want it. Well, okay, good good job, J.J. Uh, up next, Goldberg defends his championship against Brian Adams, and let me tell you something. It was a Goldberg match. What, about eight minutes? And Goldberg wins, of course, with his shtick. But that's not our main event match. Our main event match is Hulk Hogan. That's right, Hollywood Hulk Hogan taking on DDP. Go ahead, guess how it ends. We all said schmoz. Good job. That's right, because even after Michael Buffer gets on the mic and introduces this match to make it seem like it's going to be one of the biggest matches in Nitro history, Black and White comes out. You have the Wolfpack come out, but this time, a little bit different. Goldberg comes out, starts clearing house, knocks out everybody from Black and White. Wolfpack's kind of respectfully standing back and being like, all right, do your thing. But out comes Giant, grabs Goldberg by the throat, we have to go, folks. And at the exact second as they as giant choke slams Goldberg, we go off the air. And good night, folks. That's how we do Nitro. Now, here's a little bit of a surprise. Not only that, not only did I have that surprise earlier for you, but today I'm bringing a little bit more. Here is a top topic. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for... Ranking order and final decisions are a completely bias-based order, based off The Professor and ODM Made It. 
And as always, they like to let you know they have not worked in the business, but have been lifelong invested fans, much like you, our listeners. With not only their opinions involved, but with countless amount of hours of research done each week, they make sure to provide proper facts and history to back it up. However, they do know that your opinion may vary from theirs. If there is anything you want to chat about, bring to their attention. If there is something they missed or forgot, or you just want to let them know they are out of their freaking minds, feel free to shoot them a message on Facebook or Twitter, or email them at the top of wrestling at gmail.com. As always, they do appreciate all feedback and continued support. At the end of the day, they want to make sure that you do see the best of the best before you die. And now, this week's top topic. I know we're only towards the end of July and we have to get into August to really appreciate SummerSlam. But to me, it's the, the hottest ticket of the summer, as they say. And we've talked about some matches. We've talked about pay-per-views. Today, we are talking about the top 25 moments in SummerSlam history. Now, y'all know how I do it. I got 25, but I got some honorable mentions. Only two. One, it's just out of fun. I think we all have to bring it up because we kind of bring it up often on the show. You got Lex Luger celebrating like he won the world championship on a count out and only got the V or the victory. You know, you only got the W. Him watching him, the Steiner brothers, Tatanka, everybody come out. Fantastically horrible. Um, but another honorable mention is just not necessarily the match itself, but the saga of CM Punk and Brock Lesnar. To me, yeah, well, Brock Lesnar, you know, I, I, I like his work, but of course I'm a CM Punk fan. I like seeing them both together, both being Heyman guys. Great moment. Now, let's get into the real 25 moments in SummerSlam history. Number 25 is Elizabeth Shows All in a match where Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage are taking on what is, uh, oh wow, I almost lost it, Ted DiBiase and Andre. Thank you. You're welcome. My bad. Uh, Liz does a little bit. Pretty big distraction for her time, this time of era in 1988. You know, showing, she didn't show all. She showed her beautiful assets in a bikini. And it got the distraction. It helped out for the win. But at that time, very edgy, very big moment. Number 24, talking about a big moment, let's talk about uh, given the title to, at this now time, your youngest champion. We saw Brock Lesnar become your young champion against The Rock, but in 2004, something we're not going to talk about a whole lot, Randy Orton defeated Chris Benoit to become your youngest world champion in WWE history. Why is it erased? You tell me. Number 23, the unlikely win. You have a triple threat match as your main event world title match with Jesse the Body Ventura at SummerSlam 99, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, and Mankind. The man you never thought that was walking out with the championship does. 
Mankind upsets both men, only to drop it to Triple H the next night on Raw. But, however, very big upset, huge moment. Uh, And they were also bringing it back because Jesse Ventura was a part of the match I talked about earlier with Liz being involved with DeBiase and the Giant. Coming in at number 22, a personal favorite, Shawn Michaels does a little bit of flopping for Hulk Hogan. That's right. He found out that Hogan was not going to be returning the favor in a, you know, a win, letting it go one-to-one. So Shawn Michaels decided to flop around like a dead fish all over SummerSlam 2006. And to me, one of the funniest moments of all time. Coming at number 21, you have the ending of CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy, a TLC match that had not only a world championship on the line, but also the implications talking about Jeff's history and his, his personal demons, a lot on the line. But as CM Punk ends up standing tall over Jeff Hardy's body, the lights go out, they come back on, Undertaker is standing under CM Punk, letting you know this is your next big feud for your world championship. Also, the end of Punk's reign, by the way. Coming in at number 20, in 2017, you had a lot of great matches that happened at SummerSlam. One happened on the, but one of the more fantastic matches happened on a pre-show, and another one during the match, or during the show itself, both being tag matches. Your tag matches stole the show at SummerSlam, where you had Roman, Brock, and everybody, all your biggest names. You had, on the main card, you had The Bar taking on Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins of The Shield. And in the pre-show, you had, right there in Brooklyn, you had The New Day taking on The Usos. And that match had maybe half to three quarters of the arena filled and they put on one one of the greatest performances of all time so to me number 20 tag matches stealing the entire show coming in at number 19 is well, not too long ago Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar the tractor incident where Brock lifts an entire ring and just fucks the view up for a lot of people on the show but tries to beat Roman in that last man standing match. Pretty epic. It is a different kind of ending to a night, but also bringing that cowboy Brock to the the ring. In coming in at number uh, 18, Shawn Michaels, we covered this last year. He goes to hit Bret Hart with the chair after Bret spits right in his face, but he hits Undertaker. But as a referee, he has to be biased and still hit the one, two, three, no matter what. And Brett wins the title from Undertaker. Setting off a huge, huge feud for Michaels and Taker. Taker and Hart. Hart and Michaels. Huge stuff. Fantastic. Coming in at number 17, it was in 1994 that we saw The Undertaker 
versus The Undertaker. Look, it may not have been the the most uh, five-star classic match that we've ever watched in history, but it was something different. And we got Leslie Nielsen involved with it. It was a naked gun type of search looking for The Undertaker because Ted DiBiase said, I got him. This is the guy. And everybody said, nah, that's not him. Doesn't look like him. Came back with purple gloves. That's him. That's the guy. That's him. Coming at WrestleMania, or Jesus, coming in at number 16 was SummerSlam 1991. This is where Ultimate Warrior decided to hold the main event hostage, telling Vince, I want X amount of dollars for me to go out there with Hogan to take on Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa. Vince verbally gave him the money until he came back, and then the match was over, and he no longer had that money and no longer had a job. Coming in at number 15, talking about doing a job. No one expected in the Brock Lesnar-John Cena match that Lesnar would have a full-blown clean sweep. Very little offense from uh, from Cena. This entire match was Lesnar being the piss out of Cena. And this is where we get your record-breaking suplex. Uh, suplex City yeah, is it was dubbed right there. Number 14, John Cena defends against who he thought was the rightful contender, Brian or Daniel Bryan. And at this 2014 SummerSlam, just as Daniel Bryan finally hits an explosive running knee that no one has seen him do yet, he pins John Cena, wins the championship, as Triple H is also your referee, by the way. Bam! Out comes Randy Orton. Randy Orton cashes in and takes the title from Daniel Bryan. I wish I could say it was our only one, but after CM Punk won the championship in 2011 from John Cena at SummerSlam, same story, different person, Alberto Del Rio comes out and wins the championship after Kevin Nash delivers a powerbomb. That's right. I'm not getting my years wrong. Kevin Nash in 2011 comes in and powerbombs Punk, making him lose the championship to Del Rio. Really swerving the entire year of the Summer of Punk in my eyes. was never a fan of that. Then Punk lost to Triple H. Oh, I'm going to have to go down a different rabbit hole. You know what else we should talk about was coming in at number 12. That was Edge versus Matt Hardy. Look it. In 2005, just fight it out in the ring. I don't care. Whoever wants to bang Lita, I don't care. Just fight it in the ring. And these guys legit took real hard blows to each other at the SummerSlam in 2005 to the point where... Edge wins by a no contest uh, or a more of like a no response by Matt Hardy. He was knocked out. I liked it. I thought it was a great setup how they did it. And they even kept the feud going. The guys were all about business. The elite should learn something from that. 
Coming in at number 11 was the 1998 ladder match between Triple H and The Rock. There's a lot that will unfold in this, and we're going to get to it very soon in the wars, so let's skip on. Number 10 is your jailhouse match. The Mountie, who took on Big Boss Man. The Mountie loses and has to spend a night in jail. The skits that followed were some of my favorite things of all time. That's where my favorite line of, don't you like the way leather feels against your body, comes from. Say that as many times as I can a day. Just different type of wrestling at this time in 1991, but a, a great payoff between two different cops, a Mountie and a cop right here in America from Cobb County, Georgia. Coming at number nine was in 1996, you had your Boiler Room Brawl. First time ever, The Undertaker vs. Mankind. And this is where Paul Bearer turns on The Undertaker again. Something we covered two years ago, so we don't have to go too in-depth about it, but very unheard of because Bearer had been with Taker for nearly seven years at this point. So a very big point to not only ending off an unheard of match, but the most unheard of ending to a match at SummerSlam. Coming in at number eight, one of my personal favorites was we were supposed to get Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler. And Jerry comes out feigning an injury, so he says, you're going to have to face Doink. Doink through many antics, fucking with uh, Bruce Hart at ringside, just so many different things. Doink loses to Bret Hart because Jerry gets involved showing, yep, my leg's okay. And we get now the match we wanted, which is Brett versus Lawler, and Lawler submits to the sharpshooter. But Brett doesn't release it, leaves it on for a good five, six minutes until Jerry passes out, and they declare Jerry Lawler the winner. Why do I like this so much? It was so much hatred with each other, right? It was so much feuding and being pissed off with each other that it didn't matter about winning. It was about inflicting pain love the Bret Hart Jerry Lawler feud minus the kiss my foot match coming in at number seven was SummerSlam 2000 now at Wrestlemania 16 we did see the Dudleys Edging Christian and the Hardys have their match with each other which was a regular ladder match but at SummerSlam 2000 we saw the very first ever TLC match. Who won? Well, same guys who won at that WrestleMania. That was Edging Christian. Uh, I loved this one. It was a, a great pay-per-view, but I was a very big fan. This one stole the show absolutely. Coming in at number six, British Bulldog beats Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title at Wembley Stadium. 1992. We're about to get to AEW All In at Wembley, and this match, you're going to have to do a, a great job to beat it because the pop when Davy Boy got the win over Brett, 
I don't think you're going to get that same kind of pop in Wembley from AEW. That's me personally. Coming in at number five is when Brett won the title from Kurt Hennig. That's right, Hennig, Mr. Perfect, at Madison Square Garden in 1991. Huge fan of this one because not only does he reverse a couple of legs to the dick that he turns it into a sharpshooter, he goes up and, and celebrates with his mom and dad in the crowd. And this is a very infamous moment moment when it comes to Bret Hart. And doing an MSG, couldn't be happier for that one. Coming in at number four, Brock Lesnar in 2002 becomes your youngest world heavyweight champion beating The Rock. Now, at this time, Austin had kind of taken his ball and ran home because he didn't want to lose to... Brock Lesnar in June for the King of the Ring tournament. And while he's gone, we got to bring someone in. We got to have that star power. And The Rock made his return in 2002 and wins the championship as well as dropping it to Brock Lesnar. It was his way of, we don't want to use the, I don't want to use the word pass the torch because that's, eh, it wasn't a torch passing. It was a, the right thing to do to get the right guy over. And it's funny because Brock was gone within about a year or two after, but still to this date, it's what made Brock become a legitimate superstar right there in WWE. The rock put him over. I still to this date would love a rock Brock two. coming in at number three, one that was, shocking I never anticipated for sure was the match between Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar and Brock Lesnar busts Randy Orton open the hard way strict elbows taking the pads off hitting him to the head and I mean a pool of blood to the point where Chris Jericho didn't know what was real or not and tried to start a fight with former UFC champion Brock Lesnar. That's how you get excellent heat. One of the best ways to end a SummerSlam, by the way. Number two was, man, Shawn Michaels in 2002 making a comeback, fighting Triple H in a unsanctioned match. And this is after, you know, we all talk about his breaking his back on the coffin at the 1998 Royal Rumble match, but everything that had to do with it afterwards, um, it, losing a smile. Okay, all right. But for real, after everything was said and done, no one ever thought we'd ever get Shawn Michaels back in the ring. This match with Triple H was no light match. We're talking table spots, ladder spots, uh, chair spots, and at the end, at the end of it, a sledgehammer spot. You know, kayfabe or not, he came back to a hard swinging match. He didn't have to do straight wrestling moves, which is probably for the best with being out for that time. But came back swinging, and I thought it was a, a great match uh, for SummerSlam 2002. Sold the show, even over Brock winning that championship. But the biggest thing to ever happen at a SummerSlam 
in my personal opinion, coming in at number one was at 1997. It is your Intercontinental Championship match between Owen Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. We don't need to go into depth too much. We talked about it last year, but you've all talked about it a billion times in your life. That is Austin taking the dreaded tombstone from Owen Hart, and this is where Steve Austin breaks his neck, and we see, for the first time live on TV, someone going completely paralyzed. And you can't help but mock the pin. I'm sorry, you can't. It, it's a it's a horrible pin by Owen and and Austin. I wish there was a way they just stopped it and Austin never won the championship. We could have done without him winning it. However, it is what it is, but it shows the badass side of Stone Cold Steve Austin. The dude still moved around to make things happen pushed refs off to walk him out of the arena, you know, trying to walk off on his own. The whole thing was a very unfortunate and lucky incident. But to be honest with you, one of the craziest and most infamous moments to ever go down in SummerSlam history. Hopefully, nothing as crazy as that happens at the 2023 SummerSlam, but maybe we have such a moment that is way better beyond that that we can take the negative out of first place and replace it. We'll find out. But next week, what are we doing? Man, we are diving into a movie that is uncharted territory for myself. We are talking about a hockey movie. We are talking about a movie that ODM has been wanting me to review for a very long time, and next week we are breaking it down. Not only are we breaking that down, we're going to be talking about everything else that happened next week in wrestling. So, ODM will be back. I'm the professor. I bid you a farewell. And I'm going to leave you with five words. The professor is the shit. The Top of Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by The Top of Wrestling Podcast. Your hosts are the professor, Mark Fantasia, and ODM, the doc, Joe Rizzo. Feel free to reach out to the show by email at thetopofwrestling at gmail.com on their Facebook page, Twitter page, Instagram page. Remember to subscribe, like, and share. You can listen to the show on most popular platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, Pandora, and YouTube. Without your continued support, it would be just some guys talking wrestling, which is pretty much what it is anyway. Good night, folks. I mean, do I even clap? Am I supposed to clap? Clap, clap. Oh, shit. Here we go.